Welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. This episode is sponsored by Team Rankstar and Inked Gaming. Visit TeamRankstar.com for all the latest Tesla news, and visit Inked Gaming and use the code TRS12 to get 12% off your next order of customized gaming gear. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast. I am your host, Mark Lutz. This is a podcast about the Elder Scrolls Legends. And with me on episode number eight, I am incredibly excited, super pumped, totally stoked to have two people join me this week. Um, a co-host this week with me uh, back for another episode is Dead Broke Nerd. And along with him, our guest for episode number eight, uh, streamer extraordinaire Bradford Lee. But let's start with Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, how are you doing, man? Uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for uh, inviting me back on the show. Uh, I'm actually particularly excited. I probably wouldn't have accepted it for today uh, just because of how busy I was if it wasn't for the fact that Brad was on. Uh, so that definitely drew me in hook, line, and sinker. But um, no, I'm doing good, man. I I basically took all of Friday off to watch the Masters Series Finals. A little bit of Tesla sensory overload. It was so cool. Uh, and plus getting to see all, the, all of my... Team Rank Star fellow casters and stuff up there doing the cool stuff was pretty awesome. <laughs> but uh, no, man, I've uh, I've been playing actually a lot of Caracon Jewels kind of mathy Red Crusader. Played that on stream the other day. Kind of was pretty impressed by it. And uh, played a lot of Underlords today, actually. Dota Underlords. I've been, been trying to rank up on that. I would love to get involved casting that, actually. Um, cause that's been my new addiction, but, uh, but yeah, doing pretty good. That's awesome. Bradford Lee, how are you doing, man? It's so great to have you on the show. It's an honor to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. What's going on with you? Not much, my friends. Uh, I didn't realize it was the hook line and sinker dead broke nerd. That's awesome. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm doing great. We've been doing awesome right now. It's, uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I've been, as you said, been back playing a little bit more test legends and then also I've been playing funny enough, some Dota underlords as well. Hey. Uh, yeah, that's like uh, that's like the new thing, right? Like, uh, I don't know what is that what is that category of game because Dota Underworlds, I think what League of Legends Riot put out some mm-hmm. version, their own version of it as well that's out there. What what is it? Because I, I mean, not that this podcast is about it, but is it like a is it like a specific type of game? Is it like auto chess? Is that what we can fall the yeah. genre under now? Yeah, auto point? chess, I guess, is the genre. It's like, have you have you ever played um? The board game Dominion, or I guess it's a card game. You ever played that? Um, no. It, it's kind of like a drafting deck building game, but it's all its own thing. It's it's all macro, very little micro. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's it's a strategy game, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of people jumping over to that. I don't know if it's like the new thing or if it's kind of the flavor of the week. Right? Like, like everyone went to, you know, Battle Royales, and that was literally all that was on Twitch yeah. for so long. And now I'm seeing this come up, and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, playing these these couple types of these well, auto chess games right now. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think it's more of a flavor of the week in the end. It's I, I think the reason I say that is because Dota and like League of Legends are huge game company like like huge organizations sure. that run this like Tencent and uh, Valve like huge companies run these so they obviously have a huge player base for it and I think it's just kind of like you know the spice of the week or whatever for because of that and it'll probably taper off a little bit but it's it's just something to waste time with you know good fun yeah. game yeah so Bradford Lee did you get an opportunity to check out any of the Masters series this past weekend I you know what's funny I I didn't at all. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> because I actually intended to watch a little bit. Um, I had worked with one person on helping him put some decks together, and then that, that fell through, and then they built something completely different. So I was, like, excited to see what people were potentially playing. Um, and I didn't realize it was the same weekend. I watched ended up watching some other stuff on Twitch. For, well, particularly Magic, I watched their Pro Tour, and didn't realize it was the same time frame, and I was really, like, bummed that, Time-wise, it didn't work out, but I did end up going back through the the VODs on Twitch and watching a little bit from there. Um, missed all the live event, though. Yeah. Well, now you, as a, as a player, I've been watching you play a lot of this mm-hmm. um, Telvanni, um, Path Mage, all <laughs> uprising combo deck. Like, the math in it is insane. I think I've listened to you explain it on stream, like, four <laughs> different times. Like, when I get to 14 mana, I pick this, I pick this, I pick this. It seems like your turn goes on for, like, six to eight minutes. And I have no idea how, <laughs> how you so quickly math that stuff out. Is that the deck that you're still playing right now? Uh, no, not, not, not always. The, I'll tell you what, that Battle Mage deck, that mid-range Battle Mage deck right now is very, very strong. And I was playing some of that at the end of the season to try and just mess, to get higher in the ranks. Um, I have been messing around with that deck. The problem is, is I think it's really well tuned against the, the Battle Mage deck. Like, if you know how to play it, which I, it, I, the reason you don't see it on the ladder is there's not many people that are willing to invest the time to get good at the deck, I guess is the way to say it. Because mm. it, it, is, it is a lot of time to just understand how to play it correctly and i don't play it correctly like no i I don't think it's it's i don't think there's a player out there that can play that deck optimally right now maybe there's like one or two but uh it's it's just a fun deck that i think is very good against that blue red battle mage deck and that's the reason i've been messing around with it again because it was a deck that three or four years ago do you remember how long this was dead broke nerd was it like two years ago you're talking about the uh the telvani the nixox combo deck was that like two Uh, years ago yeah that was like Almost two. I don't think it's a full two years, though. Yeah, no, okay. it's definitely not a full two years. It's maybe because they nerfed Nixox, then they nerfed Pathmage, right? Yeah. Then, I mean, Pathmage, because yeah. they nerfed Nixox, and then it was still doable. Like, nothing really changed. So then they nerfed uh, Pathmage, and then it kind of felt tapered off. And actually, there was a while Warrior 7 was leading the charge on trying to make Nixox Assassin a thing oh okay yeah but i i i don't miss it to be honest (laughs) it is kind of frustrating to lose to yes not as frustrating as that that empire combo deck that just played an endless amount of minions yeah that was worse yeah that was one of the most frustrating decks in the world to play against (laughs) I loved playing that deck though. Incredibly I'm fun sure to play, but I, I like sitting on the opposite side of the field. 100%. I understand it is so, miserable to play. So worst, the worst thing was trying to cast that stupid deck. Like, let's be real here. I'm sitting <laughs> up there and like I'm I'm like, all right, there's like this insane like APM that I have to try to like. Say something meaningful while this deck uses its entire minute and a half, two minute timer. 
and just does things over and over again. But yet, like, it's my job to make this boring piece of crap sound exciting. <laughs> it you was have to become worst. like a uh, um like a like an auctioneer at that point because you gotta go so yeah. fast to keep up. He's like. <laughs> Yeah, no, and, and there like there was a one of the I think that was the last of the qualifiers, but uh, there was like a three zero sweep with it, and, and everybody in chat is just furious, and they're like, "DBN, stop saying good things about the deck." I'm like, "It's my job. You can't you can't stop saying good stuff about it. You have to keep talking about it. <laughs> you don't have any you don't have any choice." Well, no. uh, Brad Lee, something that I um I think I, I I think if I'm correct about this uh, DBN, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. But um, when Brad came over from Hearthstone to Tessel, that's one of the things that brought you over to Tessel, correct? 100%. Yes. So um, I uh, followed Brad, uh, and actually Brad was the first person I subscribed to on Twitch. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I went by uh, Puppet Master for a long time. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, and uh, – but – yeah, basically, I was really into Hearthstone, and then I saw Brad play in the spring championship or something. Uh, and I it think it would have been winter eight. or spring. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, you, which one it was. You got top eight, and uh, and I saw your interview actually, and your interview was just way more like candid and real than a lot of the other players. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna check this guy out. Uh, so I, you know, cause I mean, I liked Hearthstone and, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't have time to really invest in it and yeah, watched, uh, watch your stream. I loved the, uh, I remember the, um, uh, was it be- beneath the grounds or beneath the, with the, yeah, beneath the grounds. The road sound. Back where, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, that was, that was good times, man. But yeah, uh, you switched over Tesla and I was like, what the hell? And then I was like, oh wait, this game's dope. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I think uh, we switched over at the right time. That was like the apex of Hearthstone into the to the start of the apex of uh, Test Legends. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's true. This is good times. Control Mage. So I made yep. that transition sometime in there from Hearthstone over to over to Legends. Whenever the the Hearthstone meta would get stale, uh, I listened to somebody on a, a Hearthstone podcast talk about this game, and I was like, "Well, I love Elder Scrolls Legends." So when I came over, the first two people I started watching were CVH and and you. Um, Brad, and uh, that was a super uh, cool experience for me because I learned a ton of stuff about from both of you guys. Um, CVH's deck was one of the first ones that I sort of pushed Legend, and you guys were saying a lot of the same things during mm-hmm. the stream because at the time we really didn't have much of a competitive scene. We really didn't have much of a pro scene. That's obviously something that you were looking for. Clearly, it was something that CVH was looking for. I mean, it was like a it was like a daily rant on CVH. I mean. As much as CVH rants, it was a daily rant on his stream, <laughs> as as I remember it. So uh, just tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about you. What brought you into card games? What brought you into competitive card games? You were in Tessel, out of Tessel. You've been back to Tessel for a little bit. Um, I know you're a pretty avid Magic the Gathering card player. Um, so just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what brought you into card games. Okay, well, um, so funny enough, it started in college. I didn't really... I, I've always been an outdoorsy person and I'm still that way. In fact, like I do a bunch of nature photography for fun all the time because I enjoy that. And then since I work with computers doing streaming and stuff, it's a really easy way for me to transition that to just like combine the two hobbies in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. but I've never really was a person that sat down and said, I want to sit on a Twitch stream or I want to be around that. But I, in 
back in college, some friends bought some random magic cards and were like, let's play it. And so we played it and we had pulled out our old cards and it was fun. And then before I knew it, I was actually pretty good at it. Um, at the time, I actually was paying my rent through poker. So I'm very skilled in like understanding numbers. Uh, that's mm. something that I feel confident with uh, quite well. Um, and so I, I'm terrible at counting, though. You couldn't tell me what like 10 plus 23 is. Or, well, that's pretty easy. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> but but, <laughs> but some, 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 we'll say like some four digit number mixed with some other random four digit number. I could not figure that out. I'd have to do like the the third grade timetables or, or, I mean, or a tally system or whatever, you know, where sure. you'd like yeah, just tally it up and do the range. Like long division. <laughs> yeah. Like long. Yeah, I'm just not good with that side of it. Um, but I started playing magic a little bit and quickly found myself doing really well. And I was on the magic pro tour for a minute. Um, and then went and did some grad school and I was like, man, you know what I hate about magic is that I have to travel places to go to play this game. And that's a huge deal for me because I'm like an environmentally like, again, I love nature. I like being outdoors. I'm like much more attached to living in Idaho where I live right now, which is the middle of nowhere where there are less people and I can be more close to nature, I guess. Um, so that was like something very not appealing to me. And Twitch was just starting to take off and Hearthstone was starting to take off. And I was like, you know what? This might be a way for me to bridge that gap into mm. another hobby I enjoy. And so I started streaming, and that's when uh, I did successful in Hearthstone and Dead Broke Nerd, a number of other people that I knew uh, at the time uh, and grew through like a small community there. I did a podcast in Hearthstone at the time, uh, and the what podcast kind of ended. I was one called a uh, um, uh, Death Rattle Crew. Uh, okay. DRC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, Matt, Matt, uh, Mushu Hill, or, or sorry, Mike Taktu Hearn and Matt Mushu Hill, uh, were the two people that, uh, worked or did it with me at the time. Uh, before I was there, there was somebody else that was there and I, I came in after one of their hosts left and then did that for about a year and a half. Um, and loved doing all that stuff, but we, we all just kind of, it was like a departing time with that. I'd finished the master series or what, I don't know what they call it. Whatever's the equivalent to sort of like the master series in test legends, uh, champ, what's the Hearthstone thing called? Man, Champion I don't know. Series? I don't even know tour? now. I don't know. I, I would they're pro tour, tour, whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah. Whatever they're so I, I was successful in that. And then after that was all done, I they released a new set. I wasn't super into it and started streaming Test Legends. And I loved it. Like it was the, the game was really well designed. And I still think that's very true. Um, I think there was it picked up a lot of the design flaws that I think Hearthstone has. Um, and it it opened up more design space as well. Um, which I think was the biggest factor for fixing some of those potential flaws. Can I just ask um, you this? Can I ask you yeah. what what set killed Hearthstone for you? What was the set? Oh, it wasn't a set. It was two cards. Uh, Yogg Saron, and then I just started. That's when <laughs> Dead Broke Nerd was talking about this rogue deck that I was playing. Yeah. Uh-huh. There was a card called Beneath the Grounds, which was generally considered like one of the worst cards in the format. Sure. Um, and in the set, like it was like unplayable in draft formats and it was unplayable in constructed formats. And I had just top aided like the the Hearthstone Championship Tour or whatever it was called. Um, and I had just finished all that and I was streaming and I was like, well, th- we're in this law where there isn't competitive play. There isn't a reason to climb the ladder. I'll just play. I'll just try to get to legend with whatever the heck I can. And so I built this beneath the grounds deck and I was like, you know what? The problem with rogue decks in that game is they don't have AOE. They don't have board wipes, and it was a control deck. And so I was – and I love playing control for anyone who doesn't know that. (laughs) Um, uh, So basically I just took this terrible, terrible card and made it into this meme deck and then went on somebody else's podcast, talked about it. It became popularized for a minute in the game. You know, and no one one really cared about it. It was just a dumb deck. 
And uh, I made it to legend with it and was I think I finished like top 200 with the deck after the season was over. It was all of me. It was all of me. And then then they released uh, a Barnes, I believe is his name. The the if if anyone plays Karazhan, Karazhan, Karazhan was the kicker. Yeah. So once Dogstron came out and then Barnes came out, that card kind of was like the turning point where I was like, okay, I'd rather play something else. So, yeah, we moved on. That, that was Barnes before Big Priest was even popularized, and that was one of the worst decks in the world to play against. But this, yeah, so, okay, so that killed it for you. You moved over to Tessel and, and mm-hmm. liked there. Loved it. Loved it. The early, the thing about early Test Legends was it was so, every week it felt like it was different because um, the initial base set, it, I, don't, I don't know when, I don't, um, you know, DBH, when did you, uh, or, um, DBN, uh, you sorry, DBN. Did I just you DBH? I tried to like combine CVH and together <laughs> to create one <laughs> ultimate being that looks like a mm. yeah. One ultimate yeah. caster. Yeah. Super Saiyan 3? No way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but w- did you switch over during like the early parts of the beta when I had switched over? Or was it a little bit later? Because I know for a while, this is in the early parts of Test Legends, there was like one or two dominant decks. It was generally considered Control Mage or like Scout, just like Big Scout. Yeah. Um, the I, other one was... for a while, and then when when I came in, like Mid-Archer mm-hmm. with Burn and Pillage was the hotness. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. basically, and that was only, the thing is, that was only like a month later. You know, yeah. like that's that's how mm-hmm. fresh and different it felt throughout the whole early portions of the beta, because there was constant changes and constant development in the sense that there was tweaking and tuning of cards and more cards were being discovered as actually being powerful in the game because we had no basis for creating uh, an understanding of every single card. Right. There was no basis for any card. Every card was just so hard to get a full grasp on. I mean, there was a time when. I was playing, oh, I don't even remember what the name of this card now is, Wabajack. I was playing yeah. Wabajack seriously <laughs> and, like, competitively because it was, like, legitimately a decision that you could make at the time. But then we all came to a realization that running things like Wabajack was just, like, stupid. And you shouldn't <laughs> probably not be doing that, you know? Like, And, like, so, like, we were able to hone things down over time, and it changed. I think the game felt like it changed, at least in the first eight months of the game, uh, almost weekly or biweekly. It was great mm-hmm. and so i really enjoyed the game for a very long time and, and i streamed it a lot during that time frame yeah i, I started playing right after burning pillage archer control archer like oh yeah it got a couple of nerfs and um that's when ramp scout when uh we got the hist groves um mm-hmm. uh got put in the game and i think that's one of the things that had kept this game so fresh so early on it had a limited card set to to play from um and so when they would infuse one like powerful kind of game changing card uh during the month all of a sudden like it it gave mm-hmm. the, the only tool that was needed for this new class to sort of rise and this new archetype to emerge and there was always like every month it was like oh my gosh like you can experiment with this new card this way and it can just that was a really cool element i think because the card base is a little bit smaller than it is today uh, now the monthly card can get lost in all of the other cards that are out there for sure I- so Go ahead. And a lot of small environments. I mean, I, I, when, when you have to choose between two bad cards to include, I kind of like that. You know what sure. I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I remember, um, the, the, there was a, there's a two drop, uh, that never sees play anymore. It's a one, one blue, uh, that gives, puts a random Atronach in your hand or something like that. 
Yep. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like that um, card was played, you know? <laughs> yeah. High Rock yeah. Summoner, isn't that what it is? There it is. Yeah. yeah. It. Basically yeah. play the heck out of that card, yeah. 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 Two mana, one one. And I I started playing it at the release of uh, of Moons because I wanted to see how it would work with Alfiq. It sucks, so um, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't great. As it turns out, it's terrible. But I did try it. I tried really hard. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna search for the word astronaut. I'm gonna throw them all in there. I'm just putting. <laughs> all of them in there and it was like no like okay two-thirds of these still suck really bad i shouldn't be playing these i'm i'm definitely definitely taking these out so um bradley you walked away from tesla for a season and uh and you've been back playing it again recently now you promised me um whenever i asked you to be on the podcast that you would be blunt um and so uh so now one when arena came out i saw you jumped over to arena right away some of the first guys playing arena and i checked that out being a magic gathering player myself historically i'm not anymore um it was just like it, it was too many trips down memory lane um and too many cards to learn about so i didn't make the jump over over to arena and I, i'm a mac player so couldn't get it anywhere um so what caused you to leave the tesla scene and what's brought you back well, the main thing that let, made me leave the Tesla scene was sort of, uh, to be honest, the Twitch drop system, um, which I, I don't go into like, I'm not going to go into the full context of this whole entire situation. But basically, I, I felt that, and I still feel this way, actually, uh, that the Twitch drop system was implemented in a way that didn't really um, take into account like the, the streamers generally. Um, and it put them into a position where they had to make decisions to either compete in the space or not compete in the space. So it's sort of like a, a subsidized marketplace at that point is the way I look at it. Um, when it wasn't subsidized, then it was a free market and people operated as if it was a free market and they did their own thing within the free market. Uh, when it became subsidized, it changed the way that people operated in that marketplace, right? So uh, it pushes some number of people out, uh, which it did immediately. Uh, it creates new players uh and it changes it creates the way new 24 7 uh vods that uh sure that, and, yeah, I'm that saying this no in the one's nicest actually way there. possible to start uh-huh. with obviously I, we can go into more of the contextual <laughs> idea about beyond that but like yeah the the, the 24-hour rebroadcasting system is 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 a brilliant scheme is what it is um it really is it it, it uh it creates ad revenue for that stream initially like 24 7 straight um you see this in like esports events it's a great for esports events because it's a way for them to increase their production value and put that back into their their production and doing whatever they're trying to do um which is one of the directions i tried to go with it initially to try to create well the competitive scene that we sort of uh, had in the early stages of this game um and yeah i don't know i just felt like in general i was very displeased with the way that it ended up going and the the lack of communication back to say hey this this is how we're going to approach this from the future it actually i think what it took like a year and a half before they really changed the system i want to say and i've been gone for quite some time they didn't change it for i mean i when i started streaming they still hadn't really changed it (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, that was really diplomatic of you that was yeah, I, I wanted to approach it very diplomatic to start. Obviously, like I, I'm, I could say much meaner things, and I will throughout the course of this conversation, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> I, I at least wanted to give a a non-biased approach to, uh, so that people don't come into this subjected to like my opinion versus the opinion of somebody else. Because again, it, it is it comes down to a number of 
people. There's there's tons of shareholders or stakeholders in this this situation. One of them is Twitch. If like a Twitch admin is listening to this, the way that they're going to approach it is dramatically different than the way that I would approach this, obviously. Um, and the way that I would approach it and the way I did approach it and I, I think was the correct manner for me to do it was I did it much more emotionally and publicly because by doing that, it gives me leverage to actually be like, hey, this is what's going on. And then I left and I'm like, I'm out. This is this is what happened. Like, goodbye. There's also some other factors that went in there, but that was the major reason was the Twitch drop system. I don't know. That's that's the brief synopsis. Maybe we can go into more detail if you have more questions about it. But yeah. So why are you back? Because you've been streaming mm-hmm. Tesla in the last couple of weeks. And as soon as I saw you streaming Tesla again, I was like, oh, awesome. I got to get Bradford Lee on my podcast. That was like my <laughs> my immediate reaction was like, OK, how am I going to get this guy on my podcast? I'm like, OK, I got to get like I got to build my way up to him, Right. And, and DBN, not that you're someone that I'm building up to because you're like was some guy I was really, really excited to have on the podcast. And I was like, maybe if I can get like CVH on the podcast, like Bradford Lee would agree to come on and talk about why he's back. So why are you back? Why are you back playing? <laughs> how it is listen man i'm not you're not a stepping stone dude i just like come on man i was like i really looked up to bradford lee when i started uh playing tassel and so Uh, guess why i joined in man i mean brad brad was my uh i guess still is you know it was i've been i watched him stream underlords the other day because i was like i understand this game i'm gonna watch brad play this game uh because i like brad but uh no i i get that too because like i said you uh you said, hey, man, you, you know, you you free to come on the show again? I was like, yeah, I mean, all right. You know, if I have time, I'm busy. And then you were like, hey, man, Brad's going to be on the show. And I said, oh, okay, I'll be there. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> you good. good. Yeah. So for, for all those you- viewers at home that can't hear, I'm blushing right now. Or can't see that I'm blushing right now. <laughs> yeah, hopefully hopefully you can. It's just got hey, one if- orange face right now. <laughs> yeah, DBM basically just said <laughs> – <just> be- <laughs> Just basically said, Bradford Lee, you're my you're my muse, right? You're my. Uh, well, oh, here's the thing. Like in all realness, though, like um, Brad is the person who made streaming look fun. I never actually thought streaming seemed that interesting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like, I would tune in every night because Brad had so much fun. Like you see a lot of streamers that like it looks like it's business and that's never enjoyable, at least for me to watch, even if they're freaking amazing at the game. You know, and so the first stream I started watching was Raynad, so I definitely uh, get that. <laughs> and so, like, you know, and and I uh, and there was a couple other people that I would enjoy because they seemed to have fun. I remember I would watch um, Tice a lot because he seemed to have mm-hmm. fun. But uh, but that's how I kind of modeled my streaming attitude was I would think, man, you know, how how would you know Brad always put on this good face? That is now my idea for what a good streamer does. You know what I mean? Mm. So contextualize that because I didn't really watch a whole lot of other people until like much later. Um, but my first year of ever really watching Twitch outside of Dota 2 tournaments, because that was my only connection with Twitch for years, was watching Dota 2 tournaments, mm. uh, was, was that. And so like that kind of built that idea in my mind. So all that brings us back around to why back to Tesla? Uh, well, the main reason is that uh, when I got sick about six or eight months ago, uh, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, I got sick a little while ago, and I kind of just took like a reprieve from streaming and life in general. <laughs> I just took like a, a the winter off, if you will. Um, and then I've kind of came back to streaming, didn't really know where I wanted to go because 
things have changed in the magic subsection. They've introduced a sort of a subsidized marketplace there too, I guess is a way to say it. Mm -hmm. Again, very political way of saying, saying things. Uh, and I left streaming that. I just, just And on top of that, for anyone who does play magic or uh, has played in the past, they have a standard rotation. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of at that point where the standard format is stagnating a little bit. Um, there isn't really a lot of competitive drive for me there right now. So I was just like, eh, I'll just play some Test Legends. And I hadn't played it in for so long. It was pretty fun. And I just was able to play. The The problem is I was, I was uh, the fun thing is I was able to play one of the cooler decks, Nixox, as you saw, I've been playing a lot of that deck. Uh, but the downside is my all-time favorite deck is not good anymore. So so is, I need to come up with a way to make that work. Which is, what deck is that? Oh, sure. What do you think it is? Deborah, either, what do you think it is? It's either, it's either Market Archer or Alter Assassin. Yeah, it's Alter Assassin. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was just about to mention that. Like, I went through this phase of, like, on stream, like, uh, I was like, let me look up Brad's old uh, Alter Assassin and see if Dude, we can. That get deck was so much fun. And it did not work. <laughs> it doesn't work, no. <laughs> there was a time when that deck was, like, super fun to play, though. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, think I, won, I think I did that for, like, five hours a day, five days a week. For like yeah. three months straight, like um, legitimately a lot of my life. Yeah. No, I just it's the game is faster and like you, yeah. you play six mana support that doesn't really do anything on the first turn. Like it just can't sustain it. Oh, Which, I got a question for you guys then, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. So one of the things that I always like to look at when I'm like looking at a, a set of cards for any game is like what the inherent turn is. I don't know if you've ever heard of that term, but basically it means like what turn do you have to be doing something before you can catch up or you're going to die? Or what mm -hmm. turn do you have to have your board developed and pressuring and applying pressure before you have lost the opportunity to develop and be ahead in the beginning of parts of the game? In, in early Test Legends, I would actually put the inherent turn to turn five, I want to say four or five. And I'm curious where you might think it is today, because I've only been playing for another for about a month now. I've been back into this game for a little bit less than a month, honestly, um, maybe a little bit longer at this point. But basically, like, I, I know it's changed, but I don't really know what that inherent turn is. Is it as early as two, do you think? Or like what cards have made that impact the most, do you think, to to move it faster? Because we all know it's faster than turn five at this point. Mm hmm. Oh, uh, that that's hard. You know, so you're it's basically really asking, question. what is the turn that you need to either be like building a board to apply pressure because that's your game plan? Or mm -hmm. do you need to be flipping the board to not die because that's your game plan? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I honestly like when I when I think about it, obviously, for a lot of control decks right now, because there's a lot of blue because of Elfie Conjurer. Um, yeah. Right. The turn that they're really. They're, they're not even really seeking like they want to turn the board on turn one and turn two, right? Like you're seeking to turn the board with crown quartermaster and harpy like early, early on. You're even seeking to turn the board with things like um, on turn three, uh, the oathman or whatever that can get uh, ward or or if you're playing red, you know, five, three um, allies. Uh, allies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you're. I think that really it is very early on at the same time, you're really just trying to survive until you can ice storm. Um, and so there's still some point in which like, I feel like there's a huge, huge turning point in this, in this meta right now where turn six, does someone have ice storm or does someone not have ice storm? Cause that's probably going to determine the outcome of the game is mm. it turn six 
can they can they completely flip the board in their favor? Because a lot of times you can ignore Alfeek, but if they ice storm and clear your board and then they Alfeek um, on turn five or six, it's it's a lot more deadly. But I think that you're right. I think that like turn two, like you've got to have board presence. You can't play a control deck right now that doesn't have some sort of board presence or some element of control or at least some part of slowing down your opponent's game plan by by turn two. I think. Like what I'd add to that is that I like looking back at older versions of the game, you could have, you know, resource generation in your early turns as a control deck and you can't afford that anymore. You know, I mean, that's where like we'll, we see Barrow Stalker and you've got uh, what is it? Uh, Dragon Tail Savior being put in decks that are control decks because they have to be able to contest the twos and threes. So my my thought actually in terms of your your question, I, I play a lot more aggro mm-hmm. like I, I'm predominantly an aggro player slash I play mid range um, as well. But I don't really stick around with control because I'm too fidgety for that. Uh, but um, no, I mean, I think that I don't know if the the turn is I'd, I'd say the turn is still turn four. My argument would be that the game has gotten to the point where it's a turn four board is harder to deal with. Okay. So like still, OK, did they are they removing efficiently removing my threats as I'm playing them on turns, you know, one, two and three? OK, if so, like turn four, they're in a really good spot and I'm not. Or, you know, OK, I haven't been efficiently removing. So therefore, my opponent's in a really good spot and I'm not. My argument is the cards that are doing that on one, two and three and four are much on average, much higher power level across the board whereas before like you know in, in earlier builds of the game you didn't have barrow stalkers you know with a two three guard drain nutcase of a card you know uh mm-hmm. so you'd have to run less efficient less you know easier to remove cards i mean shit guys like wily kiva can we talk about that card like uh. a two for two like damn that doesn't get killed by ice storm wait yeah. what Wiley, Wiley Kiva, Kiva or however you say it, yeah. That's a yellow two four for two. No, oh. like no effect, but I mean, who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so, but it's good. <laughs> so Bradford Lee, I have a question for you because this is actually yeah. a piece of advice I took from you when I first came to Tessel. I was looking for what cards. I was listening to your stream, and one of the things you said was. Um, Blood Dragon, one of the things I remember, I'm like 90% sure it was you. Blood Dragon is this crazy overstatted card, but because it doesn't have an effect on the board on turn five, it's not super playable. However, right now, Blood Dragon does see a great deal of play, and it would be a, a, a card that I think even, you know, a couple of years ago was too slow to see play. I mean, nobody was playing Blood Dragon, and Blood Dragon is literally all over the place right now. So yeah, is there is there a chance that it got actually pushed? Like there's some there's some some slower creatures that are seeing some play. Well, I think it's more the synergy of Mighty Conjuring being one of the most powerful cards in the game. Um, okay. Okay. That that has to be the most driving point for that card right now, right? Like like just like you said, it's an overstatted card, and just like I said, apparently two years ago or whenever I said that. Uh, but it's but yeah, I agree 100. At that time frame, it probably was one of the least desirable five drops. Uh, that were playable, right? There there was a ton of good five drops in red. Uh, the ones that come to my mind at the time are Mark Roth Bannerman, because I remember that from um, 
that yeah, back in the day where card. having those Nord Firebrand triggers were really important because, again, it was the synergy that card created with um, uh, Al- um, Supreme Atromancer, which mm-hmm. we don't see that combination of cards very much anymore because Atromancer now costs not 10. And like you said, uh, it's we maybe are living in a time where the 5-7 body is more relevant because the synergy of that um, Mighty, Mighty Conjuring Country. now puts it over the top. Um, I think Mighty Conjuring, like, if we talked about, like, inherent power level of cards, I would probably put it in the top 10 most powerful cards in the game when it comes to its inherent power level in relations to its cost. Uh, so that's, I think, the driving factor that pushes uh, Blood Dragon over the top. Um, it's That's really interesting that you remember that, because that that is totally something I did advocate for a lot at the time. I, I think the that Blood Dragon was always good back then. It just never really saw that much play, because... That was so much less relevant, just putting one body down, especially in a time frame when Piercing Javelin was very prevalent in those Control Mage decks, uh, mm. where they could just easily answer it. And But another factor maybe that has come in as well, uh, and this is just theorizing, is that with Blood Dragon on the board, it's just a beefy, hard-to-deal-with threat. Back then, we didn't really have beefy, hard-to-deal-with threats in, say, Blue-Red, for example, because Blue now has some good early-game threats. Uh, the only other thing you had really was like Wardcrafter. Now you have the ability to kind of scale all the way from two, three, four, and all the way up to five. Mm-hmm. So developing those stat lines becomes more prevalent, I think more important to the game plan of the, the, the decks in general, because again, that larger card pool that we talked about earlier. Yeah, your opponent is using some of their removal earlier in the game to get rid of your earlier threats and maybe you're starting to mm-hmm. waste their removal once you get to Blood Dragon or cards like Blood Dragon, whereas previously when they didn't have as many options in the early game um and also we didn't have as many keller combinations in the early game right i mean yeah, we're, yeah. we're literally talking before we had tri-keller decks and tri-keller decks of course have completely changed the dynamic and the power level so uh, as someone who's an avid magic gathering player right um and, and as a Magic Gathering player, I know a lot of people who do play Tessel. Maybe they came from Skyrim. They didn't come from a trading card game background. They, they've never experienced a card rotation except maybe Hearthstone, and they hated it. Um, so, But as a Magic Gathering player, I know that, man, like card rotation is some of the lifeblood of a card game. Like it, it, it just has to be part of the card game. It can be done well and done poorly, but it has to be part of the card game. So do you think that there's an, there's an issue in Tesla right now? The reason why it's accelerating is because we just have such a massive card pull to draw from. It's getting faster and faster. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's the short answer. Yes. Uh, I actually have, so do you know the term planned obsolescence? Uh, have you heard not. that term before? But but so would you it, explain it to our listeners because I if we don't know. Yeah. So it's it's a coin. It's a, I want to say it was a, a term coined by like somewhere in somewhere in the automobile industry. I want to say is where it was coined first. But the idea is that uh, in business or in any any aspect of life that you need to create some sort of redundancy that keeps going. Uh, planned obsolescence is this idealism that like you design it so that it will break. So like mm. I think maybe it was GM. We'll use GM as an example because like, they you know, have a higher tendency to break according to how it works. Uh, But the idea is that you design the car to last 10 years so that you can get that customer back in 10 years. So when it comes to like the game designers and having an active development into a game, if you want to have an active development, you have to have another way to keep monetizing. And one of the ways that has shown to be successful in card games is a rotation system, which 
creates planned obsolescence. You you make certain cards obsolete and you plan that in advance, right? You plan two years down the line, we're gonna make, we're gonna rotate out, we'll say, well, what's the one after the core set? Um, Clockworks, no, Dark Root, Dark Brotherhood? Dark so Brotherhood. we'll say, we'll rotate out Dark Brotherhood uh, at you know the six month period. And then we create a, a new format that way so that enfranchised player base has the ability to keep reinvesting in the game, which continues the the sort of idealism of planned obsolescence. So you continue your your you create a uh, sort of a, uh, um, a sustainable ecosystem for having more developers to keep developing the game. So from the like contextual concept, yes, I think it's really good. But from the game, I think it's even more healthy because uh as you go on with card games, power creep continues. It continues to get more powerful and power, not because you necessarily are making more powerful cards, but because you're making more cards, you're finding ways to synergize those cards and make them work more effectively together. Um, in Magic, one of the ways that they do that in like eternal formats, which is to say uh, formats that use all of Magic cards for 25 years, one of the ways to mitigate that is while the power level gets really high on all decks, and some of them get specifically combo decks in these kind of situations mm -hmm, get sure. kind of degenerate and out of control. One of the ways to do as a sort of stopgap is design cards that interact with those combos and shut them off at the earliest points of the game, but cost you extra resources to have to run something like that. Um, so in Test Legends, Shadowfin comes to mind. It's just a body that answers support removal. If instead we had, when your opponent plays a support, you may exile shadow or you may, may ex, or banish shadow or fin from your hand and remove an extra card and you can get rid of it so you can have like ways mm -hmm. to other ways to interact earlier time frames and that again keeps ramping up that power level and if we see those kind of very fast cards those cards can be played on turn zero like nord firebrand we see those cards nord firebrand being played very very early those cards are just going to keep getting more powerful and more powerful when more and more cards keep coming and showing up to help them well be more powerful on turn zero um, and I think that just keeps compounding and pounding. And when you rotate a little bit, you create a fresh environment that doesn't have that, and you can still have that old environment um, in general. I think so. Um, I don't know. I think it's I think it's a very good idea. Ar arguably, right? Mm -hmm. Like power creep is part of planned obsolescence in that yes. you're making obsolete cards that were on the chopping block before. I mean, we were talking about High Rock Summoner, right? I mean, that that ended up on the mm -hmm. chopping block, and now it will never see play. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, that's actually a great way of putting it. And, and it's and I, I mean, my, some of my favorite environments in several games. I mean, I don't play Magic, but I've played mm -hmm. played Legend of the Five Rings, played that for years. Um, you know, Hearthstone, but um, well, were were smaller environments where you had to make tougher decisions. You know, and one of the biggest complaints on podcast at a time. Not to throw out another podcast. Dude, here. throw out your podcast, dude. No. Uh, but anyways, one of our <laughs> biggest complaints, you know, hanging out with Flo uh, and Wayne is we get really frustrated when just raw good stuff is the environment. Basically jamming the best good things and effectively ignoring synergy. Um, because I think the the most enjoyable ways and the, one of the things I like about Hearthstone, even though I don't play it competitively, is that they kind of force synergistic theme decks and I find that exciting, and I like that style, or at least that style to be an option. And, you know, with, with Elder Scrolls Legends, a lot of times, at least with this huge, huge, huge card pool, you know, you, you look at like a, uh, you look at like a, a mid-Dagoth, 
you know, and it's just a pile of great cards. You know, you look at a uh, aggressive sorcerer, and it's just a pile of beefy boys, you know, slamming mammoths and bleak coasts and stuff. So, I mean, like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Brad? Because, like, you, you, I mean, this is such a big card pool. Do you think that's good for the game right now in terms of, like, good stuff decks? Does that is that enjoyable for you? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's cool that you can play good stuff and, like, there's more cards constantly that, like, makes me more energized about it, you know? But, like, yeah, it's... The funniest part about that, though, is a lot of the core set cards are still, like, the core of the game still. Like, we talked about Ice Storm. That's always been a check on turn six, right? Like, that, mm-hmm. that has always been, like, one of the most important uh, ways to catch up on turn six in this game. And that hasn't really changed. Um, I think the core mechanics of the game are still in place, and that's good. That's probably healthy for if you do create a rotation where you rotate out some cards. You can still have things that deal three damage that answer the same way that they would before. But I, I'm not a huge fan of the huge card pools because we're starting to get to the point where we've got a lot of redundant effects at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. Crushing Blow is really, honestly, the most prime example of that. If anyone doesn't know what Crushing Blow is at this point, because it's probably because you haven't played it in years, it literally says three mana, three damage. That's what it does. It deals three damage for three mana. And that's like a core component of this game. It's a neutral card. And now I want to say what blue has two of those. They've got what channeled storm and reverberating strike. Yeah. And then there's an, and, and so it's just like, if you're playing a, a deck that's three color themes and you want a crushing blow effect, you might as well just play blue instead. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, it, it does create different design decisions and it did that year or two ago when when those color comp pairs were starting to open up um, more and more and that's great but like I, I mean it just feels weird to me that crushing blow i still play crushing blow i don't, <laughs> I don't know about you guys but i love crushing blow i still think it's <laughs> amazing to hit my opponent for three sometimes but uh it's just crazy to me to think that we printed three of the exact same card and they're all in the same format basically right now and that's okay like like mm-hmm. it doesn't like like i mean that's not a bad thing but like at some point, you got to rotate some of those out so that you force only blue to have three damage removal all of a sudden. What if Crushing Blow is out of the format? Like, and you you trim down some of the power level, some of the stat lines of creatures, and you make them all three threes. And you, now everybody's got a bunch of three power creatures, and blue's the only one with, with a Crushing Blow effect. It changes the way you have to design entirely. Before, everyone could just play Crushing Blow to answer, I don't know what the green four three is called. Um, oh. One second. To answer Corner Club Gambler. Yeah, you know, uh-huh. like that's like the key answer for the three mana removal. If all of a sudden blue's the only one to answer Corner Club Gambler, and we change the format just that little bit of a tweak, it does make a huge difference, like you were saying, and that's and that's great because when you're adding more cards, you're changing the change. But with so many cards here and so many color combinations that you can do, where you can pick three of, of any, most decks probably share about forty of the same cards. You know, like, and if everyone's running Alfique right now, right, everyone's just running blue, which means everyone's running Channeled Storm, which means, like, it's more and more redundant between each deck. And so I I don't think that's healthy in the long term, I guess, is the way I look at it. Yeah, there's definitely a rotation that needs to be, that needs to come about. And uh, obviously, I'm a big advocate for that, coming from Magic, coming from Hershey. I'm a big, big, big advocate for seeing a rotation. Some of the funnest times I've had playing were out of rotation. 
um, in, in any card game that I've played. So I, I'm definitely like, if there's one thing that I'm saying to the Tesla team, like get on it, it's get on the rotation, like get on it because we, we need to see something. And this wasn't something I was planning on talking about and we don't have to talk about it for very long, but I thought I'd pick your brain about it because coming once again from the magic background in the era of, you know, in the world of black Lotus and moxes and zero cost cards, they literally just shatter the game. Um, when I came to this game, they're, they're currently just counted. There are 24 zero cost cards in the game. Is, is there a point in time when, is, is there something wrong? Cause when I saw this, I first thought like they got to fix this zero cost cards, break things. They, this is, this is going to completely limit what they can design. They got to get rid of some of these zero cost cards, but instead of getting rid of them, they've just continued to print more of them. Um, do you think that zero cost cards are going to be a problem for Tesla moving forward? It's a really, really big question to ask. Um, I, th- I don't think it will necessarily because the core of the initial design was around it. You did see, um, what is the green two drop that's now a three drop? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Right. Finds- Are you talking what was about it called? One? Pawnbroker? No, no, no. Oh. This is the Skulking Geist or whatever. No, it's not oh, Skulking Yeah, the Skulking one. Rip Goblin Skulk. He was my Goblin boy. Goblin Skulk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Goblin Skulk was one of like the core cards to like fit the zero drop theme. So it seems like the theme is still there and cards like Swindler's Market comes to my mind. There's a couple other different things, I think. Um, there's like the plot ability is very good with zero cost cards, obviously. Yes. I don't think it can. it's broken because of the way that it's designed into the game. They don't put effects like like uh innervate into the game you know like it, it, there isn't generation. a black lotus yeah there isn't a dark ritual there isn't a innervate there isn't a resource generation in that way um and so i don't think it's currently degenerate now if we do see a rotation i think it'd be interesting to continue the zero drop theme or maybe stop off the zero drop theme and move to something that makes the zero drop super degenerate because then if you move if you want to start designing for a non-rotating format like wild and hearthstone or legacy or modern and magic you could like take the zero drops and try to make them as broken as possible by printing cards in the new set that interact with zero drops that aren't even playable in the standard format right and like in, mm-hmm. in the new format if like if all of a sudden you print some five drop that says like Every time you play a zero cost card, add another zero cost card to your hand. And you're just like, oh, sweet, infinite Nord Firebrands. That's a sick combo. And they're like, but rotations next week and there's no Nord Firebrands in sight. And you're like, dang it. <laughs> like, like that's that's where it gets degenerate is when you start combining those two things, those pieces together. Um, and I think mm-hmm. this design team has always done a very good job of managing that. Um, another thing that you mentioned in relation to that same kind of in that same vein is that on rotation certain cards and it seems like i've seen this in the most recent set certain cards are powerful but aren't seeing play right now and some certain cards are powerful have certain synergies and the synergy that piece that it would want isn't there yet and so it would suggest that in the future we're going to see that other synergy piece to make an archetype open up and if a rotation happens now all of a sudden these cards that you own that are in your collection that you don't play from the new set um these some of these wax wane cards maybe they become the most powerful cards with a rotation and that just mm-hmm. creates a whole new fresh environment and it seems like the design team at least from what i can see just like you know just by looking at the game clo- without any extra information it seems like it's designed into this game that, that way so far yeah yeah well that, that's well that was a lot of conversation almost <laughs> 
So that was like 45 minutes of conversation that I really wasn't even necessarily planning on. But man, we really got into thick of thick of the game. Um, but uh, I want to transition and just have at least a brief conversation about Masters because Masters, of course, just happened. Full Deer is the the Masters Series champion. So um, I'm sure he doesn't listen to this, but congratulations, um, uh, 50 grand. And uh, I, I didn't get to actually watch the final match, but I'm sure there's some sort of a trophy involved. Um, but DBN, you did get to watch the entire thing. Can you tell us about your impressions of Masters, some of the decks that were brought, anything that was just like struck you, a, a match that was awesome that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, um, I think that there's two specific matches that really if you want to go back and watch some dope tessel you should watch and that is the two uh semi-final matches so um thuldia versus caracon jewel was amazing um obviously thuldia thuldia won spoiler i mean he's the champion so uh but uh, he won three two uh in a really spectacular match and there was I mean, Karakhan Jewel basically lost uh, to a prophecy, I think, but it was a planned, okay, I have to make this push to, you know, I, I have to give Thuldir, actually, it wasn't a prophecy, that one, but it was, uh, if Thuldir has this out, I'd just lose anyway, so I'm going to make this push regardless, and it was just a great showing from, I, you know, I, I don't want to diminish, I talked about this with Lasergician, actually, on DBN and Friends, but I don't want to diminish the other side of the bracket, but but Karakhan Jewel and Thuldir was like the ultimate finale of the of the tournament, honestly. Mm, okay. Um and that was amazing. Anyone should should go and watch that for sure. Um, and then same with over on the other side of the bracket, the semifinal between Super Thanks and Boom's Life. I think that the most excited I got watching was the uh, the last. I think it was the last game in the match um, where Boom's Life decides who, who's def- definitively playing control um, decides. I have the correct hand that if I start going face now, my opponent won't be able to answer it, and I will actually go on the aggressive and win the game, despite being the control player. Um, and basically saying, I'm going to... And he got a he got a fortunate cloud rest, which basically reinforced the decision of, okay, I'm all in now. I mean, yeah, it, sure. it's something that a lot of players would have been too timid to, to take that line. They would have talked themselves into i'm the control player i have to sit back i can't push damage here and that's one of the things that when you watch these high level players you'll note that you know they could be the hard control deck but they might start chipping away at the opponent if they feel they have an advantage yeah i'm gonna give my opponent one card but i'm gonna get him down to 21 instead so it's much easier to flip and so you start understanding like these players have this next level interpretation of the general rule of thumb of well if you're playing control don't break your opponent's runes until you have x y and z assembled so you can one turn kill them but they have this next level understanding of that which makes it really exciting um i will say you know all of the players brought some really cool uh lineups and decks i mean any of the decks that you run into uh any of the decks that you see could probably be a really good deck if you make a couple adjustments for the latter arguably except for the sorcerer deck which i think was designed as anti meta for the for the tournament and wouldn't i don't think perform super well on ladder but you'd have to it ask does it, not. it does it does not <laughs> it does yeah. it the first deck that i tried i was like bone daddy oh my gosh it's amazing yeah. i'm gonna play it i crafted these things 
ah, and then I, I, it was like so bad. It wasn't even like it was so bad. Yeah, Uh, but any of the other ones, I would say, probably can be adjusted to ladder, and you guys can probably go and have a have a blast with it, the the listeners. So, um, yeah, if you have any specific questions, I I also want to say one more thing about the master series, which is that I felt like I saw a post on Reddit flaming it for audio issues. And that made me really mad. And if you're the person who did it and you listen to this podcast, I don't care. Okay? Because here's the reality. If you've ever watched big tournaments, you have to understand that, like, uncontrollable situations will come up, especially with audio. Right? Like, altogether, it was a really good show. I mean, the the talent did great, but I don't know. We knew they were going to do well. They're, they're good people, right? Um, but... The I thought the visuals were really, really good. The best that we've ever had with Elder Scrolls Legends. The audio had some glitches, but it was very far from unlistenable. Uh, so th- it kind of frustrated me because, I mean, this it was a hell of a show. It, it was a lot of fun to sit and watch Tesla being given a, the true limelight. You know what I mean? And I don't sure. know how many people were actually sitting in the audience. Uh, but But the point is, I mean, it looked good. It was a good statement piece for Elder Scrolls Legends to get more you know, more attention, I suppose, on the competitive scene. So I, I just want to say I, I thought everybody did a good job. Even I think it was PGL who ran it. I even felt like they did a a good a good job. And, and you know, I remember doing the qualifiers and Costa would just be like having nervous breakdowns, trying to figure out what what thing wasn't working right on his computer because we'd we'd do all these practice runs and he'd start and then something was off. And he's like, I don't know how this is off. Ah, settings. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd go on break and he'd just be filing the things like that's the reality uh so I, that that's all i wanted to say thanks for uh, uh allowing me to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I did i thought that i thought that the master series looked super professional um i was really impressed i was impressed with the caster's desk i was impressed with kind of the sliding in and out graphics um you know you i was even impressed with kind of the interview it was laser laser who did the interviews right mm-hmm. um uh, am i right about that Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I yeah. even thought that that was done very very well. A couple quick things, uh, uh, DBN that you said. One, uh, I queued up. You said about a control deck knowing when to swap and go face. Uh, mm-hmm. I queued up the other day right after, and Logic was my opponent, which is a bad day all the time. Um, <laughs> and he was playing he was playing uh, Wax Wayne Monk, and um, also awful. And it was just like, it just, I knew it. Like I knew it. I knew I was dead and, uh, and it, it definitely happened, but he was the control player. I was playing the aggressive build and he, he outraced me, um, just because he read it correctly. So it definitely can happen. And, uh, definitely in terms of like taking some of these decks onto the ladder, um, there's some tweaking that you can do to them that I think there's some specific decks because before Thuldir one, I was already playing his empire deck on ladder. In fact, I played that to legend rank like 140. Um, this month, um, I couldn't get past that, but that's that's where I was, and I was insanely happy with myself because I've I've hit legend almost every season that I've played, um, but I've never tried to push in legend ever. I've never tried to. Once I hit legend, I just complete my quest, and that's the type of player I am. I'm not really competitive, and this time I tried to be, and I pushed from like five or six hundred up to 140, and I was just absolutely thrilled. And that was with Foldier's Empire Token Empire deck, and uh, definitely really enjoyed playing that. And I've been. I just deleted all the decks. I built all all the decks that I could from the Master Series, and I've been just trying out some of those. Um, so there's there's definitely room to 
to play some of that um, for sure. Now, Brad, I know that you didn't really have an opportunity to check out a lot of the Masters, but you got to go back and watch some of the VODs. you have any input yeah. or thoughts from the Masters series you want to share with us? Uh, I agree 100% on the Caricon uh, semifinals match. That match was really good. Uh, both very talented players. I, I Thulder was my, my number one going into the tournament. Caricon was my number two. Mm, uh, yeah. So you can really, I, and I think Deb Rogner said the exact same thing. Like you can really hammer that down as being a, a, a particular section of the VOD if you're going to watch it to watch. Yeah. So Deb Rogner, you did a pick 'em, uh, a pick 'em for yeah. this. Did you figure out the results? Do we have winners out there? Yeah, no, I did. You know, what's what's ironic about this is I have a bunch of sticky notes, like the sticky notes app, and I had all the like results on there from when I actually tweeted it out. <laughs> and I just closed out of it like five minutes ago as I was cleaning up oh. my sticky notes. No, I could have no, told no. Uh, That's okay. Uh, a little Jamie uh, won. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Now, was there anybody who got it exactly right? Did a little Jamie get it exactly <laughs> weirdest thing like almost uh almost 50 pl- people entered brackets uh and no one picked a perfect bracket um oh. yeah i mean you know which i mean when you see like march madness you know i mean there's how many teams you know you expect it you know 64 teams no one's gonna get a perfect bracket uh but you know there was only eight players <laughs> um but i tell you there was a bunch of people who got all but one right um and the way I scored it, actually, there was one person who got the entire bracket correct except the result of the finals. But unfortunately, oh, wow. based on scoring, they actually were one point behind everybody else who correctly guessed the winner. Um, but uh, basically, uh, that person had Boom's Life over Thuldir, but everything else was correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most popular pairing in the finals was Super Thanks and Thuldir by far. That was mm-hmm. the easily the most populous uh, choice. Thuldir was the most populous winner um, choice. Most people had Thuldir beating Kara. Uh, but, um, and I'd, I'd actually say I saw a, a pretty large proportion of people were, were actually picking uh, Frenzy, uh, who who did get eliminated by Boom's Life. But the, he, it seemed like Frenzy had a lot of lot of love in there as well. And and my personally, my bracket had, uh, had flow. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, I think I had Carrigan Jewel against uh, against Super Thanks in the end. It was either that or Boom's Life, one or the other. Um, and my bracket played out like it was okay. It was okay at first, except Foldier screwed everything up. <laughs> As screwed he is wont to. <laughs> yeah, he screwed it all up for me, man. I was I was taking CVH's advice, and I I took Carrigan Jewel the whole way to the end. And uh, he was he yeah. was the guy that the uh, CVH was watching really closely. And uh, I got to go back and watch that VOD because I did not catch that semifinal game. So that's something I'm definitely going to have to go back and check out. You know, I, I really think that the that the margin between Thuldir and Karakhan Jewel is non-existent. I mean, I think those two are definitively insanely good and insanely consistent. Um, I mean, I Karakhan Jewel is actually my favorite player to watch. I really like his style of play. He's not afraid of playing aggressive decks. He's also not afraid of playing kind of, you know, random anti-meta stuff, including a deck that is odd or not popular at the moment in his lineup. So, for instance, his weird archer deck, right, that unfortunately never saw the light of day, which was 
sad, but uh, but I remember a uh, Team Rank Star Classic. Actually, Laser and I were just talking about this. Uh, a TRS Classic uh, in the winter, where he showed up and played mid archer, even though nobody mid archer was on no one's radar. Played mid archer and went all the way through and easily won the event. Hmm. He's got that grasp of okay. Here's the environment. I'm gonna take that next step and and include a deck that annihilates said environment. And I always I always find an appreciation for that. Yeah. So um, let's move past masters and let's move to the last topic for today, which is the card of the month. And so um, it is a three mana intelligence. It's blue sentinel reclaimer. It's a red guard. It's a two attack, three health epic card that reads summon, put a steel dagger and a steel sword into your hand. Of course, steel dagger is a one cost weapon that gives plus one plus zero and steel sword is a two cost weapon that gives plus three plus zero. Um, If you have reached at least rank one, you're going to get three copies of this if you uh, are in the top 1000 legend you're going to get three premium copies of this um in a couple of days here well by the time this podcast drops you'll already have them so uh brad uh tell us what are your what are your initial thoughts on the sentinel reclaimer here this card's been a huge player in the game um blue is already one of the most powerful cards or, or colors right now uh and it gets access to another utility piece at its three cost it's a very flexible card one of the cards that comes to my head, mind right now is a card that I cannot remember the name of. I'm actually scrolling through right now to find it, so I'm stalling. Oh, here it is. Dunmar Nightblade. Uh, <laughs> if anybody remembers the card Dunmar Nightblade, it uh, is a 2-mana two 2-1 two for 2-mana, uh, or, or in blue, I'm sorry. 2-mana mm-hmm. 2-1 in blue that has a Last Gasp ability that puts an Iron Sword in your hand. An Iron Sword is a, a plus 2, plus 0. Now remember, mm-hmm. this new card is going to give you a plus 3, plus 0 and a plus 1, plus 0. Um, there was a time when Dunmar Nightblade used to give you a plus three plus O item, and now it gives you a plus two plus O. Card has been nerfed at one point in this game, um, and this card that's coming out feels like an almost auto include in a number of blue decks that would be happy with extra resources in their hand. Uh, I am, I, I'd say this is one of the more exciting monthly reward cards in quite some time. Yeah, you're paying one more mana to get two more health, a steel dagger. A, a, a better sword both added to your hand on summon so you mm-hmm. don't have to run the risk of them silencing it and not giving it to you through last gasp yes additionally if you have the extra mana you can just throw and use those things the turn you play i mean this card's good on turn three it's good on well if you have a ring it's good on turn two but but we'll, not, we'll ignore that two. right it's um, very good it's yeah, it's very good on that. Um, it's good on turn three. It's good on turn four because you can just use the steel dagger for your extra mana. It's good on turn five because you can use the extra uh, steel sword. And then from any point after that, the card has incredible flexibility. You, If you will get to turn 12 in a ramping style deck, you can sometimes just play this out and have excess mana to use the steel sword plus do your other play for the turn. And you can really create a pretty big shift in, in positioning on the board with just the power of a three drop, which you wouldn't think is that impactful in most situations. But I mean, that thing's four points of damage in it alone. I mean, think of this as like a uh, six mana uh, lightning bolt in turn 12, you know? Mm. Well, okay. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, What, what does it replace? Because right now we have um, the cunning ally, which is the three mana three, three, that if the top deck card of your deck is blue, you're going to add a a firebolt to your hand. We also have dagger full mage. um, And we also have the other ally that can get 
ward i can't remember the name but it's the neutral one um and uh so what so i mean thief now which is being played in pretty much every blue oh yeah deck because discerning thief is nuts uh, yeah. yeah discerning thief it's a three mana three four with pilfer you get to draw a card and discard a card which is super broke um so what i mean what does this replace for you bradford lee uh, it's definitely not Daggerfall Mage because the Ward creature synergizes with Steel Dagger and Steel Sword, so the Sentinel Reclaimer just naturally wants to be with that card. Um, but I think Sentinel Reclaimer probably is the Cunning Alley slot, uh, if it's anything. Uh, it may be the the other one you mentioned was uh, Doomfang Ally, I believe is the name of it. It's yeah, a that's neutral what one. It is. Mm-hmm. And that one generally also has a Ward, so again, those weapon synergies are going to be very powerful with it. Uh, I could very easily see it being just Cunning Ally and we're just running Discerning Thieves because they're harder to get off the board. So they'll kill something or they'll t- take a hit and then they can get that big weapon and swing back at something for six or something. You know. Yeah, there's some versatility here because the thing about mid-range BM right now is that it wants to take a turn to flip the board and push huge damage. And this just gives you the ability to say, eh, I flip the board. This is my turn that I'm going to push big damage. Let's just push an extra four right now and not have to run an additional card in my deck to be able to do it. Um, Deadbroke Nerd, what are your thoughts on on a Sentinel Reclaimer? I mean, everything that Brad said is spot on. The only thing I guess I'd add is that this is going to be really, really nice with Mighty Conjuring. And all of Dagoth's other shenanigans, so sixth house, sixth house amulets, uh, and any mm. other power requirement cards, because what it does is it allows you to, you know, on turn eight, you've got a four attack creature. Your opponent intentionally removed your five power, so that going into the turn seven, turn eight, whatever, you know, you can't mighty conjuring. They're trying to stop you from getting your big ol', you know, lava atronach and instead be stuck with the crummy atronach, right? So this allows you to play down an item on your – you can play down your Steel Sword. In Dagoth, you can, you can play down your Steel Sword on a Sanctuary Pet and then play your Mighty Conjuring. You know what I mean? It yeah. makes, makes a Shrieking Harpy now have five power and now trigger Mighty Conjuring. You know, And that that is already not super hard. But considering, too, like I think Brad's right about, about Cunning Ally. Like there are mono blue decks, but then a lot of the um, – mid bm decks want to have more reds you've got really powerful red cards you've got rapid shots belligerent giants candy crush like you have a lot of really important reds even dushniks on ladder if you're worried about divine fervor decks you know what i mean mm-hmm. like yeah, you've got sure. reds that you want to be hitting skaven pyromancers right and so cunning ally forces you into a situation where you're actually running you're you're sacrificing better cards for a high tempo three drop that can kind of remove some stuff, which sometimes it's worth that. And arguably right now, mid BM has the biggest argument for that, even though I'm not sure if I personally think it is correct. Um, And so like, I think that, yeah, those mono blue versions of BM, which do okay on ladder uh, because of cunning, you know, cunning ally being able to mitigate a lot of these hyper aggressive decks that we see right now, because let's be real aggro right now is hyper aggressive um, and is sacrificing their back ends on a lot of decks, you know, just taking, I'm going to take my three twos instead of my two threes because I want to get that damage in. Um, And so Mm -hmm. like, that's important. 
I think that Dagoth and, and Battle Mage can now have a better way of saying, all right, I don't want Cunning Ally. Instead, I'm going to get something that has still respectable stats, if not great stats for three, but really is looked at. I almost look at this like a Manic Jack. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Playing it on four. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you're playing a three, three. So my honestly, my initial thought on this card was super cool, um, but it's it's crowded. Right. Like it's oh, no three doubt. spot four blue has always been crowded. And we just added discerning thief like and I'm like, uh, like, I don't know. I think that I think that this card is a card that when we rotate this card's power level is insane. Right. Like it, if there's a rotation and there's no there's there's less things crowding the the really powerful spike. of You know, we have a big power spike in blue at three. Um, not that they don't have decent twos, but there's a power spike in in, in at three. And uh, and this card is definitely good, but I'm worried that it'll get crowded out by some of the other powerful cards that we have with Discerning Thief, with uh, with the ally, um, you know, with Daggerfall Mage, which has been a staple in blue for so long. And I think if you get rid of some of those cards, with this card becomes a lot more powerful. That being said, I'm definitely going to play around with this because I can't tell you how many times I've played Daggerfall Mage recently and got negated. Um, and you can't negate this. So, you're well, you can. Well, <laughs> yeah, like I still don't know that I would prefer to play this over over discerning thief if I'm playing a more aggressive strategy. Um, but if I'm not, if I'm playing a, a mid range that is sort of tilted towards the control side of things where I do want to flip that board and then I and then I want to swing back really hard. Um, I think that this card makes it in over some of the ally cards for sure. The one of the things that I think is worth thinking about is we're we're putting this a lot of in a lot of context on like Battle Mage, right? And and some of the, like the popular powerful blue decks, which right now is you know let's be real, Battle Mage is great, um, and Dagoth is pretty darn good too. Um, well, I almost wonder like it does this slot into Mage? Mm-hmm. You know where how might this how might this added three cost that is can give you both flexibility and aggression how does that affect some of the you know decks where the the three drop slot might not be as fully fleshed out you know uh mage or assassin or uh um sorcerer you know what i mean i mean yeah i think i'd play this next to young mammoth like would you well i play mammoth but would you would you run this over jack in sorcerer i I don't consider it yeah, but I think the deck maybe wants to change some of its core components. Like it, one of the things this does is it gives you extra resources into hand, and so cards like and, and this maybe isn't for the sorcerer deck specifically, but uh, cards like uh, Palace Conspirator get better. We just talked about Discerning Thief. Discerning Thief obviously gets better because you can just pitch the dagger if you don't want it. You know, like oh cool, here's another card. So it can it can create real card but- advantage for you with the right builds. Um, and, and then you could even go deeper down the rabbit hole and maybe your, uh, your sorcerer deck has master of arms now or something, but like, again, that's very deep down the, the rabbit hole and maybe some, something to construct when in, in, in the, in the game, maybe mess around with the deck a little bit, but, uh, there, there's definitely a lot of flexibility with these draw card, discard a card cards that can synergize with our new card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a, it's definitely a cool card and something I'll definitely be playing around with and experimenting with. Um, hey, we've been going for a while, 
a while. <laughs> um, we can go for a while. Uh, so um, before we go, um, Brad, is there anything else that you want to include? Um, anything else that you want to say? Uh, I mean, you bit your tongue a couple of times. So do you, is there anything else that you <laughs> is there anything else that you want to uh, say in this in this podcast? You don't have to, but I'm just opening the door for you. Um, you have the chance. Uh, Twitch for the devil. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's really was fun, actually. Honestly, it was like this is a really nice podcast. You guys do a great job, um, and I was very happy to be part of it. So it's really sweet. Thanks, man. I'm I'm really honored to have you on. Um, really really honored to have you on here. It's super cool to. Uh, it's been so cool to be part of the community where I can shoot an invite out to or a message out over Twitch or whatever to people who. Quite frankly, um, you know, I, I watched and wanted to learn from and things and they're willing to come on a podcast with me. And when I was podcasting for Hearthstone, heck, that would I mean, what am I going to do? Message Tice and ask him to, to join me like it. I was noise, white noise. I've said that before, but it's really awesome to be part of a community that's been so incredibly welcoming to the podcast and to me, which is which has been awesome. So um, let's start uh, DBM. Let's start with you. How can folks get connected with you and find what you're doing and shamelessly plug your stuff? Man, I'm not I'm not competing. I have no shame. Uh, so, dead broke nerd across all platforms. So that includes Twitter, which is the best way to get in contact with me. Barring that, uh, you can join the Team Rank Star Discord, which, by the way, I just highly recommend in general. You, if you chat in the Elder Scrolls uh, channel within the Discord, um, I guarantee you people will respond. Uh, that's the main kind of. Um, sounding board that I have and utilize alongside just simply tweeting at my friends uh, or messaging them, messaging them directly. But the point is, uh, yeah, jump on there. You can message me on Discord. Um, you can also, and I, you know, just check out my Twitch page. So uh, twitch.tv slash deadbrokenerd. I stream in the mornings, uh, U.S. Eastern Standard Time. So I usually stream, start streaming between 9 and 10, usually end around 2 um so that is uh that is when i stream and then i am actually putting a concerted effort into my youtube page now after a year of it being stagnant uh so i've got a bunch of videos not just for tesla but also for um hearthstone gwent and minion masters which is another thing i just got into which is uh incredibly addictive uh so anyways i'm done talking <laughs> that's okay yeah make sure you go check out uh, dead broke nerd plug into all of his stuff he's also a caster for uh, team rank star and i did hear that team rank star is going to be bringing back some of those community tournaments um now that mm -hmm. masters is over in the near future so make sure you plug in because you can learn about how to get involved in those um through what uh, dbm's doing and also how to tune in for them um bradford lee uh, how can people get connected to you if people want to check out what you're up to what you're doing and what you're putting out there um how can they get connected to you uh, yeah, I primarily just use my Twitch channel nowadays, twitch.tv slash Bradford Lee. And then, of course, you can find me on my Discord channel, which is linked also through my Twitch page. And uh, you can reach out to me at Twitter at Bradford Lee or at B. Lee Stream. Either one works. Um, the, also, definitely join the Team Rank Star Discord if you are a player of this game and you want active community that is very helpful, friendly, and knowledgeable. Uh, there's a great group of people there and it's a great discord to join in if you have questions as well. I, I, I just to reemphasize that point. 
Yeah, I just want to uh, say um, if you uh, if you're listening to this, then uh, Team Rankstar is definitely a place to go. So this is, you know, this show is sponsored by Team Rankstar and we're being hosted on their website, which is incredibly generous and really, really cool of them. Um, but definitely go there because that's definitely the best place to go to find the latest news and and stuff that's going on um, between that and Reddit. You can basically cover um, most of what's going on. It I, was impossible for me. I could not figure out where the heck I should go to find stuff about this game for the longest time until I did find Team Rankstar. And, uh, and, you know, the first place I've ever gone on Reddit was looking at this because I'm not a Reddit user. So um, uh, definitely check out Team Rankstar and look at their stuff. If you want to connect with me, you can't do it over social media. And I'm not a streamer, so you have to email me. Um, my email is eslegendscast at gmail.com, eslegendscast at gmail.com. Other than that, I'm basically off the grid. I am on Reddit and I am on Tessel, of course, and you can find me there. My uh, handle is uh, the 113 lift. That's the 113th lift. You can feel free to send me a friend request on the game um, or look me up on Reddit if you if you really want to. I'm trying to figure out how the heck to use that thing. Um, and then on top of that, as I've said in the last several episodes, um, I'm a pastor uh, as like my day job and my heart is to support the community, to fight against toxicity um, and to support people both with a listening ear and with prayer. And so if you have something that you're going through right now, whether you're dealing with health concerns, or you're dealing with depression um, or there's just something crappy going on in your life and you need someone to listen to you or you want someone to pray for you, email me at ESLegendsCast. I have a prayer list of people um, that I'm already praying for um, and so I would love to know how I can be supporting you, how I can be praying for you. I want you to know that you are never alone. The Internet can be a really cool place to connect with people. It can also be a very, very dark, very isolating and very toxic location that can really wreck who you are. And so, like I said, I'm here to support you. You're never alone. So reach out and get help. Um, and I hope you plug in with some more. Um, I think that about does it for for me, at least. Is there any closing thoughts that either of you guys have before we get out of here? Uh, I just have one more little shout out um, just to the community. If uh, you guys are listening, I would definitely, uh, whatever your spirituality or anything, throw some uh, love, both, you know, so on social media or prayers or good vibes, good vibrations, whatever, uh, towards Abel Wild. Uh, Abel is struggling with some health issues, and the dude has been so kind and generous to so many people, so he does definitely deserves the uh, the love back. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Anything, Brad, before we get out of here? Um, I don't know. Enraged Mud Crab Rocks. That's Hell all yeah. I got. <laughs> okay. Go craft your premiums, boys. New meta incoming. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> That's going to do it for us here at Legends Cast. Thank you once again, Deadbroke Nerd. Thank you, Bradford Lee, for being on the show. It's an honor and a privilege to have you guys here. Make sure you come back next week and check out the show. Make sure you check out Inked Gaming and Team Rank Star, who are helping support what we're doing here. That's going to do it for us here. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Elder Scrolls Legends. If you want to support Legends Cast, you can always leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, or you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash legendscast. Be sure to come back next week and make sure that you check out our sponsor, both Inked Gaming and Team Rankstar at teamrankstar.com. <laughs>